Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 199 for Monday, February 4th, 2019. folks and welcome to gig gab the show that is by for and about working musicians here as usual in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton here in las gatas california it's paul kent how are you today mr kent i'm pretty good it's like dreary cold and rainy out here and it's been like intense rain for a while but it's you know whenever i have to talk about weather i always think the stuff that you have to put up with so you know so so be it yeah, t- today is actually quite nice here. It's probably it's in the 50s somewhere and and sunny and obviously all the snow that's on the ground is melting. And so there's this constant and the snow that's on the trees and on roofs and stuff. So there's this like, you know, drip sound outside, but it's actually quite pleasant. Um, the, the ground is wet, but only because of the melting. So, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, it's really nice. out Today yeah. here now, right, right this second. It's OK. Exactly. Yeah. Right this yeah, second. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> correct. Generally speaking, very cold this time of year for me. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations on your Patriots pulling out another one. I know. I know. Is it getting old? Nope. Sure ain't. <laughs> no, no, no. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. You know, fine. the rest of the country, probably the rest of the world hates you, right? Well, I hear that. Like, I mean, I it, like that's what all the um, all the noise says. But interestingly, it seemed like at the Super Bowl yesterday, most of the people that were there were Patriots fans. So um, how do you measure that? Well, um, I I can only go anecdotally based on what literally everyone that was interviewed about it said. All the Patriots players said it felt like a home game. All the announcers for the game said it sounded like, you know, there were way more people there for the Patriots. And it felt like it was at Gillette because when the Pats had the ball, it was, you know, quiet and, and huh. not the case. Yeah. And they like like one one reporter said hey, it felt like about sixty five thirty five you know Patriots to Rams fans so I you know I, maybe it's just that the Patriots haters around the country are louder than the people who are around the rest of the country like the Patriots maybe that's what maybe. It is. I don't know I don't know I don't know and also you know there was also a little bit of funk about the Rams getting in the way that they did you know with the Saints call and who knows whether the Rams fans in L A are 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 that. Are that committed still? I mean, I don't know what the deal is there. I mean, they're kind of new being back there and everything. Did you watch the halftime show? I did. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So, yeah. What was up with that? I, I, it's just weird to me that the way I get that what they're trying to do with the halftime shows is, is find this blend of artists that will span all, you know, demographics and age ranges and all of that stuff. But I feel like what we're getting is more and more just milk toast. It um, it's not one. I thought party. Timberlake was good last year. Like he was good enough yeah. that he actually made me want to go see him. Yes. I I don't know that it was milk toast. I think I think it was Maroon Five. I mean I think that there's plenty of artists out there. I think that their 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 efforts to meld the genres. You know I'm sure that that's a coerced thing. Of you know, course. Yeah. But um, Maroon Five was just terrible. I mean they were so. Actually, Maroon Five was fine. Levine was terrible. I mean, he was. I think Levine was, was sick. I, Lisa, my wife, as we were watching it, said, "Ooh, he doesn't sound good." Like with his first note out of his mouth, it was you know she keyed right into this. Does not sound like the Adam Levine I'm used to hearing. I don't and, know, man. The, the posing and the the staging and the and the strutting and all that type of stuff. You yeah, know, well, there was just, that too, right? But that's, if, I think that's what most people reacted to. I, 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 most things I've read is that the band actually sounded fine. Like, like someone who I know. Well, the band is it, the band is all pre-recorded. Is that still the case with the Super Bowl? The only thing that's live is the vocals that are sung. Oh, I I don't know the answer to that, but but um, I think so. I w- think, but regardless, what what I heard was is that like the performance. Even with vocals, so addressing yeah. what Lisa heard, yeah. someone someone listened on in the car on the radio and said, you know, the band sounded fine, but yeah. I understand whatever linked the songs together and the histrionics that were going on around the songs was an absolute disaster. And it was, and you could actually oh, yeah, tell that for sure, you know. And then the more that he stripped down, and you know, it was such. But what was the point after, of that? Well, that's it. I mean, and and again, here's the deal: you're following 
some pretty freaking awesome legendary acts that have performed there. I was, you know, Springsteen was great. Prince was over the top j- great. The Bruno Stones Mars great. had a Bruno breakout there, great. right? Like that yeah. was like that that introduced him to the world stage, and he wisely, of course, and this is all how it always works. But you know, uh, tickets for his tour went on sale that next Monday or Tuesday morning or whatever it was, and like I mean that he was fantastic. He impressed everyone that saw him. And I think for that show, that's what I'm I'm remembering about the uh, band being rec- pre-recorded. It was Bruno's vocal and Bruno's drum set. Like that was an exception that year because he played a drum solo right. and that there was no way they were going to be able to have him, you know, play a drum solo that looked like he was playing a drum solo to a recording. So that sure. was allowed to be live that year. And I remember that being sort of a big deal in the, you know, the behind the scenes people that I knew were like, oh, yeah, yeah, that had to be live. But everything else. Yeah, the band is just tracked. Um, no, but this this came out as as. And Maroon 5 has some good songs and some catchy songs. Yeah. This came out like a top 40 pop band. Yeah. Trying to trying to appeal that they have more edge than they actually do. I would. If you asked me at noon yesterday, would you be interested in going to see Maroon 5? I'd say, sure. If right. you asked me at noon today, would you be no, interested you. in going to see Maroon 5? I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go see Sammy Hagar on the circle maybe instead. That'd, <laughs> that'd, be, a, that'd be a good show. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, and you wonder, I, I have a good friend that just started a, a, a Maroon 5 tribute band around here. Ooh. And I wonder if, if it'll affect their business. I wonder if Maroon 5 is now a dirty word. I wonder oh, if it'll yeah. affect their brand, you know, or whether it's just a moment in time. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can overplay these things and the hype of this stuff and the amount of social media that goes on around it. But like a lot of things, it's a news cycle and you, you don't yeah, know if this week, stuff will a stick. A week from now, does anybody even listening to this podcast care about this segment or have they used the chapters that we put into every show? and skip to the next one. So but you got to wonder what those guys are thinking. I mean, you know, that's yeah. a band and especially Levine, who's, you know, built a pretty great brand for himself. Uh, and again, they have some really good songs. I mean, they have some they really catchy songs and, you know, they, they, they seem to know who they, well, that's it. They seemed past tense to know who they were well, in terms I, of the songs that they made. But, they didn't seem to know who they were in this performance. But maybe they saw a old Jamiroquai video, <clears throat> excuse me, where that guy took off his shirt and Levine said, well, we've been copying Jamiroquai our entire <laughs> career. Maybe we should just do it again. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, did I go you there? But you, what, what is that like, though? You think they get off stage. A, did they know it? Right. Yeah. Because they were probably rehearsed that thing a bunch of times. Yeah. And then and then if if they know it, once the 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 social media wave starts to happen, I wonder what that feels like to do that in front of the world. I mean, that's billions of people. Yeah. That's not a bad show. That's, no. you know, that's a bad multinational exposure. Yeah. And, and they probably, as we talked about last year, I'm sure it hasn't changed. They don't get paid for that gig. I think their expenses are covered. It's cash flow neutral effectively. But, you know, there's there's no uh, that the you get that is a gig for exposure. So this exposure, he exposed himself. So maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe it worked out just as planned. I don't That's know. a shame. That's a shame. It's a shame. Um, I, uh, I it, it, following along to that, it's sort of, um, well, maybe it's not following along to that. I, I was trying to find a segue into a, a segment that I, <laughs> but I, I don't know that I have, I don't know that I have a segue there. Did you play any gigs this weekend, Paul? I'm not gonna, even going to try. I'm going to punt uh, on that segue. We're going to go somewhere else. Did you play any I gigs did. I had, two, I had two kind of cool gigs. I had a, my, one of my standing Friday night solo gigs. And this was kind of cool because it's a venue that a lot of friends of mine want to get into. And I've been fairly generous with the sit-ins at this gig. And it's a gig I actually treasure. It's, it is one of the gigs I treasure most because it's a, a medium-sized coffee house. Okay. Uh, and I took it as a solo. I got hired as a solo. And uh, it's one of the few gigs that is, it's almost like a concert. You know, people are facing me. They're generally quiet and listening to what I'm doing so I can play quiet. And we talked about that, you know, how to manage audiences like that. And it's something that I find myself the lessons of doing that, which is one of the reasons I got into doing these kind of solo things, are really starting to pay back. So my my chops in in flowing the show, my my chops in what I do between songs, my chops in singing, absolutely singing and playing. Yeah. You know, they're all it's really paying tremendous dividends. I'm having a great time with it. But it is a really good gig. And a lot of people have asked about sitting in. And um, you know, sit-ins are cool, but sometimes I just want to do my thing. And so um I I arranged it, you know, the couple of people who were gonna sit in, uh, who had been sitting in past times, I kind of put the note notice out saying, Hey, I'm gonna do this one myself. Everybody seemed to be cool with it. And then I had 
had a really, really fun one, really good one. And one side benefit of, of this gig that I love, it's a place that uh, it's in the town that I live and um, it has its own draw. And I've been saying for a long time, there's a lot of people who enjoy live music, but there's not the right way for them to consume live music. They don't want to go to a bar. They don't want to dance. They might not even want to go to a winery, right? Um, yeah. They just want a casual cup of coffee and just relax and listen. And this place is that. And, she, you know, the woman who owns the place, she says this has been a great boon to her business. Um, the audience that tends to go there is it's got a kind of a coffee shop vibe. And, and um, so is there any alcohol served at this place? Yeah, there is. They have there beer is. and wine. Okay. They have okay. beer and wine and a small plate food license. So it's actually a very nice evening. Um, and I love it. And I, and I had a really good night. So one of those nights where you're learning as you're going, like, you know, I'm feeling so good. So I'm going to attempt something vocally that I might not on a night where I'm not feeling great. Yeah. And, and you learn a lot about what I had to do. And a lot of them actually worked out. So, you know, learning is a, in anything, learning is, a, is not a linear endeavor, right? It's, it's a lot of ups and downs, starts and stops. And you, you take notes and then you try that. And, you, you know, if you do it five times and it works every time, then that's probably something you can count on. If not, you know, you're learning it wrong and you got to go back and figure it out. Right. A lot of the stuff that I'm working on, again, and I say this to everybody who's listening, I am not a vocalist by trade. I am not a gifted vocalist, certainly by, by birth. Um, I've worked pretty hard on it. I've taken a lot of lessons. I've listened to a lot of people. I, I, you know, read and, and, you know, lots of YouTube videos and, you know, I do what I can to compensate for what that, what I was not naturally gifted with. And, you know, sometimes you make some advances and sometimes you're, you're scratching your head as to why something's not happening. Why it's not working. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But, you know, these things have been godsends for me and they've, um, They've also helped me figure out who I am as a musician. You know, the way I, I emote music, which is a really valuable yeah. thing. It's, I, I, knew, I knew who I thought I was. And on the journey along, you know, uh, you, you know, it's one of the hard things for musicians holding up a mirror. You, you have your, your self-image in your mind, what you think you are, how cool you think you are. But the jokes and the pattern and the tone that you use when talking to an audience um, – there are some people who, who you think you are is actually who comes out, but there's a little bit learning about who you really are. Like, you know, yeah, what it, works, it, yeah. what works. And, you know, it, it, we got to ask that question about politics last, last time. And I, and I continually find that there's a, a tonality to mentioning politics in my show that is non-threatening enough that everybody gets inclusive. Like I, I can throw a joke at Kellyanne Conway's expense and everybody will laugh of it. Sure. Um, but if you get too intense about it, you're run the risk of a, of a room that might have 50, 60 people in it of 10 or 15 people not reacting too well. That's to it, right. And then that's going to create a vibe in your room. And uh, similarly, you know, how I introduce songs, how good I actually am at relating a personal anecdote. Like, you know, on the surface, you, you know, the advice one would probably give another person is be yourself, you know, be natural, you know, be well, truthful and un- talk about Unless that. yourself is boring or, you know, the wrong thing for that room, right? I mean, you need to find the part of yourself that is entertaining. And, my, and, my point exactly. Yep. And that's what I'm saying. You have who you think you are as a performer. And then you have the actual essence of who you are that translates to an audience. And I think part of the journey of this is the search for that. Right. So absolutely. So, and playing and willing those, to question everything, playing those, you know, um, solo or duo gigs where you are exposed. Right. I mean, it, you, you can't hide behind the, the noise wash of a, you know, loud rock band. There's no crazy lights. People aren't like just dancing and, and you know, maybe had a few extra drinks or whatever. Like it's all pretty raw at a yeah. gig like you're talking about. And you'd learn really quickly what works because you don't even I mean, it, it is good to record yourself and watch afterwards, both audio and video. But yeah seeing people's reactions in real time and it's like, ah, right. Okay. I see that worked. That didn't, you know, great. Okay. Let's, you know, this thing that I thought was awesome. I'm the only one that thought it was awesome. It, you know, went over everyone else's head. Cool. Let's not do that again. You know, yeah. let's, let's bring that home and, and retool. It's almost, I I've often equated doing acoustic gigs uh, with being a stand up comedian. Right. Because there's so much of that pacing and flow and and you have your little bits or your songs. And but you are 
you are talking with your audience a lot more. At least you have the opportunity to talk with your audience a lot more and string this show together because again, without the lights and the loud, you know, music and all that stuff, the the show is about you. And so you really, it, you're very exposed in a good way. I'll give you a good example. I, I find from the videos that people have taken, and I found this out a while ago and it's something I have to deal with. I find I close my eyes a lot when I play and I close my eyes a lot because I am intensely focusing on my vocals. Absolutely. I am listening for tone and resonance and all these types of things. And I need to kind of disconnect from other stimulus in order to you know do what I need to do. As I said, it doesn't come easy for me. And so um, I tend to close my eyes mostly to just get inside my head and focus and kind of check things off as, you know, all right, here comes that passage. I need a little bit more air. You know, you know, are, am I shaping the vowels right? <laughs> yeah. You know, all those types of things that, you know, gifted, naturally blessed singers, they just... I mean, I'm sure they work at it and they iron out the parts that they need to iron out, but they are, they are auto correcting and self correcting a lot less things that I think I probably am, but that's not that, good. This for my is performance. why, this is why I started wearing, um, 10% tint sunglasses on stage. Because, Give you a little bit of cover. Yeah. Well, and it yeah. gives people something to look at. That's not just your closed eyes. It really makes a huge. I And I, I mean, I can't say I came up with this idea by myself. I did it watching other professional singers. And it's like, oh, I see why you're wearing glasses. You close your eyes every time you sing or at most times. And it's like this sort of obscures that in a way that that doesn't detach you from the audience. And it's it, it can be helpful. I, I, I'm swearing by it. It's great. Well, it makes a lot of sense. But the flip side of that is if you can make eye contact with your audience, you're probably getting some pretty good points out of this. Correct. And so that more what I want. So it's something I have to be aware of, but it's all kind of learned. Like there are places where I can kind of disappear in the song and it actually emphasizes and affects the songs impact which is cool but you know no need to close your eyes on margaritaville (laughs) right correct yeah if you can right if you can get to the point where you trust yourself and and all of that then yeah yeah it it, i I suppose that's a good thing is breaking the habit of closing your eyes and only doing it when it has to happen in order to serve what you're doing yeah fair that's that's part of the journey I, i sing duets i've talked about my friend mary ellen who i sing in a trio with and i've done some duo gigs with her and she's a, an amazing vocalist and B, a amazing performer. She's so natural and so relaxed. And the thing is, when we sing a duet, especially if it's a, a, you know, a quasi love song, she will try to connect with me as a, as a point of. Sure. Of the performance. Yeah. Exactly. But, but I'm freaked out. I'm like, no, you're not my wife. And I'm like, no, no, you know, <laughs> like, like I literally, uh, I yeah. feel now I, and then, then once I realize that, like, oh, she's just trying to, to, you know, she's just trying to act with me for the effect of the it's event. Acting. And I'm like, yes, it is acting. And, and, um, you know, I have to kind of go through a long checklist in my mind of ways to kind of like get right with that. You know, I, I don't want to look ridiculously soupy at her if I'm, if I over affect it, cause that would kill the moment and kill the mood. I want to truthfully emote and, but it's yeah. something I have to have to work on. But I, the point is all this stuff is one of the great things about doing these gigs. And, and um, I had yes. a good one on Friday to bring it all back around. That's and uh, you know, a lot of the lessons that I've, I've been cumulatively working on seem to have kicked in. And, you know, I, I think I took a step forward, which was kind of cool. That's and awesome. then the house rockers had a gig on Saturday. And one quick uh, anecdote about that is corporate gig where we had to load in at five s- loaded at four. Yeah. Sound check at five doors opened at six. We had to sit around for a couple hours. They fed us dinner, but then we had to do a two or three song preview set at eight twenty-five. Yep. Sounds like a wedding. Two or three song preview set go away. And then we played nine fifty-five to 11 45 or something like that. Yeah. Long day. And uh, you know, I, I've I've had situations where these long waits where some guys drink too much and they're pretty useless by the time they get back. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes, some totally. guys just get bored. I think one year when we did this gig, we brought board games. You know, sometimes in the past, guys have gone home because it's not terribly far. And then I worry about, you know, are you going to get back in time? So that as a leader, I'm kind of counting heads all the time. This one worked out pretty good. I had one or two of the guys when I checked in with them the next day, they were like, yeah, you know, those long breaks you know, you get just kind of your energy gets complacent and it's hard to do your normal show 
And the, the natural thing that happens is, and we haven't been playing too much, so we're a little rusty as it is, uh, you know, and some of the songs, like I used the time to go back over the songs that I wasn't quite positive uh, about. We had a warrior game on TV, you know, again, they served us dinner. The time went by okay for me, but a couple of the guys were like, yeah, you know, you just, you're sitting around for that amount of time. That is you the just trick. Flat. Yeah. With like wedding gigs are like what you described is very typical for a wedding gig, right? Where, you know, you have to get there and get set up and then you might do like the, 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 you know, the, the father of the bride and you know, the, those three songs or whatever. And then they go and eat cake and you come back an hour later and actually play your set or whatever. Right. The flow yep. can be broken up with huge, long stretches and you just have to learn how to manage that. I will say the more you do it as a band, like anything, right? Practice makes perfect. The more you do it as a band, the more you just sort of figure out how to kill time together. And and like Uptown Celebration, that's the only kind of gigs that band does, right? Whether they're weddings or corporate parties, it's there, there's that flow definitely happens. And it like I never even thought about it until you just mentioned it now because it I I stepped into this band after they were together five years or whatever, and they're just used to killing time together and they you know they cut up a lot and having a lot of fun and chit chats but we're just hanging out and and you and you just need like that's yet another thing just like your stage show just like the songs you play just like anything it's another thing you you get good at as a band yeah. you just you know you just figure it out well, that's happens. that whole traveling between towns on a exactly. bus together i mean yes. it, it does your band benefit from time together or does it you know is it wasted time and i guess maybe as the leader you know, thinking about what you're saying, the best year was the year we played uh, board games or something like that. We had a lot of laughs and the time went by and yep. it was a good bonding experience. So may, maybe that's the answer. I don't know, you know, poker games or whatever it might yeah. be. Anything that keeps you engaged, keeps you, you know, socializing, having a couple of good laughs together, I think is good for your band vibe as a whole. Yeah. Because the, the, the sublimeness of just sitting around doing nothing for hours at a time is just kind of silly. Yes. Right. It, it, you've got to find something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Hey, we got a bunch of uh, a bunch of notes in from all of you folks. And it's like it's fantastic, actually. It is great. All this feedback from all of you. And some of the feedback that we're not going to share in the show is just you folks telling us what you think about the show. And uh, like that stuff means so much. It really I mean, we like the specific stuff, too. But feel free if you don't have anything specific to comment on and you want to say something to us, we're here. We'd love to hear from you. It's it's all it started as just a phone call between two friends. And now that we do this thing and we just kind of record our phone call, basically, and it goes out around the world just to hear that people, you know, it, it really connects you that we're all kind of going through similar things. Some guys have solved problems that other people or women have solved problems that other people can benefit from. They comment on the things that we're talking about. They offer ideas for shows. Uh, they just tell us about their bands. Sometimes they just say, Hey, you know, I have a long drive to work and you guys have been accompanying me on that long drive for a while now. What are we coming on? One, what, what is this? One ninety nine. One ninety nine. Yeah. 200. Crazy man. I know. Love yeah. it. But uh, it is so wonderfully rewarding to hear from musicians around the world that they, that they dig our little conversations. And so it, it just, uh, it gets us excited for this every week. When it rolls around, it's, it's time inspiring. to do this. Just a, yeah, sure. it's great. Yeah. So feedback at giggabpodcast.com is uh, where you can send your stuff in. So uh, we did hear from Andy about our conversation that you uh, mentioned about politics. And Andy actually had a very interesting perspective to share. He said uh, this subject, of course, is not that music related. He said, but your discussion about politics in 198 is coincident to something I read just this week on the subject. He says my approach on political opinion in nearly every context is pretty much in line with Dave's. And for those of you that didn't hear last week's episode, it's that I keep it out of it. Uh, he <laughs> says, uh, here's why, though, from national columnist David Brooks. And David Brooks writes. Tough conversations are usually about tribal identity. Most disagreements are not about the subject purportedly at hand. They are, they are over issues that make people feel their sense of self is disrespected and under threat. So when you're debating some random topic, you are mostly either inflaming or pacifying the other person's feeling of tribal identity. Uh, you rigidify tribal identity every time you make a request that contains a hint of blame. You make that identity less inflamed every time you lead with weakness. For example, I know I'm a piece of work, but I'm trying to do better and I can hope and I hope you can help me out. When tribal differences are intractable, the best solution is to create a third tribe, which 
uh, of course, Andy says is music uh, that encompasses both of the warring two. And Andy's comment is why waste anyone's energy on uh, divisive subjects? Sharing the wonderful humanity of music is what it's all about. I'll put a link to this article that uh, Andy found in the San Diego Tribune. But uh, thank you so much for for sharing this, Andy. This is it is it, a great a comment. Great, yeah, makes and a great sense. reminder. And I, I, I agree wholly with what Brooks is saying is is. Uh, especially in our country, I know we have listeners from around the world, but in our country, and I, I would assume in many countries, what's been identified is that um, the left and the right have worldviews. And these conversations quickly devolve into either with people you agree with saying something that supports your worldview, or if you people you disagree with challenging something that does not support someone else's worldview. And I read something really interesting about how our brains are actually wired for, you know, for you know, the the fight or flight, the self-preservation um, parts of our brain are actually, they're, they're electrical. You know, the, our brain reacts to these things that threaten our worldview. And that's why things escalate so poorly. And it's really not something we're very good at controlling. And, and, and you know, to, to digress just a little bit, it seems as though in this country uh, that a, a skill set of, of uh, inflaming or engendering those worldviews has become a, a very powerful skill. And um, uh, as we were saying <laughs> previously about talking to your audience in a coffee shop, uh, if you do not have the power of that skill to really understand what it is, maybe it's best. And, and I'm hearing myself say this stuff and I'm kind of like, you remember my original thought was, uh, the key to great performers, at least the ones that I connect with, are the ones who emit truth. So if, if politics are your truth and, you know, you don't mind the alienation, then maybe that's the path that you take if that's what's more important to you. If, if, if engendering a large audience, you probably want to stay away from that type of stuff. Yep. But it dawns on me now that really what the, what the answer is, is that you're playing with fire. And do you really understand the machinations and the mechanisms by which you are playing with this, this really inflamed thing. So uh, the comment from Andy, the, the quote from Brooks are incredibly useful to kind of elevate the problem as a whole, right? Yeah. And, it, know, well, it's an interesting, he's right that this is, you know, the reason you can't change people's minds is because you're not actually having a conversation, even though right. the words sound like you might be having a conversation about an issue. They are rarely actually about that. And that and that's the that's where it gets very frustrating. Right. Is you're saying, well, how come you're not hearing me? And it's like and they're thinking uh, I was you know, the, the reality is you were never going to hear each other. You were just going to say these things that represent your tribal identity, not actually put it into question. And well, we hope in this country that leaders emerge who do understand the fire that they're playing with. And and they oh, I think they've reconcile. all understood it. I, well, I, and and want to want to put that knowledge to good as opposed to divisiveness. I, I, that's kind of my point. Yeah. Will leaders emerge and say, listen, the, the division is horrible. We're not changing anybody's mind. And, you know, if we and you extract that even further. Yes, we want leaders like that in the United States, but we want we want worldwide leaders. And, you know, maybe that's. Maybe that's one of the things when our when our See, heroes I think, were I think musicians. It's just better to just play like Mustang Sally or Sweet Home <laughs> Alabama and find some low hanging fruit and, and have don't some, close your damn eyes and have a good time every time, all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> Feeling all right. That's it. That's the one, right? That's a song that musicians and crowds alike enjoy. I've never heard a musician like I've heard lots of musicians say, I, you know, I can't stand Sweet Home Alabama. Mustang Sally is banned from this stage, right? But feeling all right, like that's one of those tunes that everybody loves. It's got that killer groove. And, Definitely uh, sets the world aside, doesn't it? It does. That's the, the thing. problems the, of the day. The, well, the problems of the day with that song are remembering the lyrics. They almost make <laughs> no sense. So, you know, there you go. Yep. Feeling all right's the answer. That's it. That's my new go to. It's like, I'm I'll just take gonna, it. Yep. If I wish I had it queued up so that anytime we get into a conversation where where politics, like even even like remotely there, I'm just going to queue up that piano groove and, and we're just going to sail. Joe, off Joe Cocker, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dave Mason wrote it, but Joe Cocker and his keyboard player really turned that song into into what it is. And I think then Dave Mason wound up hiring that keyboard player. And I wish I could remember his name to play with him. And Dave plays it that, that arrangement now, because that's I mean, cool. well, come on. I mean, that's a fan. It's a two chord song that Dave wrote. when I, he was what? 16. I assumed it was Leon Russell. Is it not Leon Russell? Oh no. Dave Mason wrote that tune. No, no. I assumed it was Leon Russell playing piano. 
Oh, is that who it is? Uh, that I, I don't know. Somebody will have to let us know. Uh, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Moving down the, uh, the list of the mailbag here. Kevin uh, sent us a, a question. He says uh, he, he is he is working on prepping for a theater show, uh, something that I've done a few times. And uh, and he was curious. He says, I've been listening to the soundtrack a ton. He was playing Newsies uh, for, for those interested, although this really applies to anything. And he says, when we met for the first rehearsal last night, at least 50 percent of what was on the sheet music did not match what I was hearing on the soundtrack. Is this typical? Says it messed me up often when sight reading because the page wasn't matching what I already had in my head. And yeah, absolutely. You know, when when I'm prepping for a theater show, um, I know that the there are a lot of um, liberties taken when they make these cast recordings. First of all, it might be that you're playing a book that doesn't even match what that cast did when they were on stage. But even if it does, even if it's, you know, the official cast recording and all that, they take liberties because there's there's going to be sections of tunes with vamps. There's going to be sections of tunes where there's dance numbers and they shorten those or cut them out. And so you have to play through it. I find it helpful, especially as a drummer where, you know, the groove is really my job in a lot of these, especially modern musicals where it's, you know, based in a rock format or whatever um, to play along with the record and, and figure out, okay, how can I communicate this groove as opposed to just, you know, trying to play verbatim what's on the page. Although at times that's necessary, of course, but uh, so I will play along with the recording, but you have to kind of learn to guess uh, and intuit where in the recording the sheet music is and understand that, yeah, you're just using this as sort of like a spot check and you're going to jump around when you're playing the book down along with the recording. And then when you get into the rehearsal room, yeah, it's going to be different. You just sort of have to you have to just get get used to that. Um, but you also kind of have to get used to the fact that that first rehearsal is going to have a lot of bumps and bruises because no one. Everything's different, right? And and your music director is the generally the piano player, and that person's going to know the show way better than everybody else in the band because they've been working for weeks, perhaps months, with the cast, getting their harmonies right. So they know the show. It's often that even you get to that first rehearsal, sometimes even the day before, and you get a, a you know, I, I get an email like three pages long saying, OK, here's all the cuts and changes from what you have in the book to what our production is. And that's normal, mm. you, you know, so expect I don't I guess what I'm trying to say is certainly you want to be as prepared as possible. But that first rehearsal, uh, there's there's some expectation of leniency in pretty much every scenario I've been in. Obviously, if you can if you can show up and nail it, like that's great. But everybody sort of knows, yeah, look, we need to they call it a stumble through often uh it, when it's actors going through the motions on their own. And and you as a band need to have that stumble through as well. It's the first time you're trying to lock in together on this material. You may not it may be the first time that you're meeting any of the musicians you're playing with, right? So there's going to be this thing and like, oh yeah, oh, how are you counting that? And I've had it, in fact, many times um, where a uh, a music director will, there might be some weird passage where it's like a, you know, measure of six and a measure of five. And then it leads back into whatever the groove of the tune is, just for example. And, uh, and the music director and therefore the cast has been counting it wrong through the entirety of their rehearsals. And I get there and it's like, no, 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 this is how mm-hmm. those 11 beats go. And I, I always say it once and then I've learned it's like, okay, but right is only matters if the majority is, is in agreement, right? It doesn't matter if you're actually right on paper and there might be 15 people in the cast that know it the way that person is playing it. So guess what? Right is them and follow the music director and they know, you know, so I, I, I think you're going to be okay. What, what you experience, Kevin is a really normal thing and, and, uh, and you'll get better at it. Now, you know, for the next time. Right. And hopefully anybody else listening already knows, and you know, there you go. So, yeah. In the same way that I talk about these solo gigs being good for for your development as a musician, are these theater gigs similar or really do you have to have a certain 
structural understanding of music, you know, kind of a classically trained reading, all the type of stuff in order to go that, that direction? Yeah. I, well, I think the answer is, I, I don't think those questions are mutually exclusive. Yes, you do need to have some fundamental understanding of, of how to take what's written on a page and communicate it, you know, musically for most shows. Uh, the guitar player that did Angry uh, uh, Hedwig in the Angry Inch with me this most recent time, he did Tommy sort of with us over the summer uh, and he's done hair. He doesn't read all that well. And so he'll take these tunes and listen to them and chart them out. And he's kind of come up with a way of charting things where he can follow the vamps and the cues and all that stuff. Um, and But I would say to answer your question for him, certainly playing these theater shows has brought his, you know, his, the rest of his playing up a level. And it, and the same is true for me. It makes you, it makes you really think, especially with a rock musical or, you know, I mean, hair, or Tommy, I mean, all these are, and even newsies, but like these tunes that you sort of know in your head, it's really interesting. I find like when I was doing Tommy this summer, you know, rereading that score, it's like, Oh, right. This is how they, this is how someone chose to write this particular Keith Moon drum part out. It's like, oh, that's it's like it's interesting. I and I found that as a kid too. You know, I was a big Neil Peart fan and and would always find there were these series of drum books that someone made. It wasn't Rush, but it was somebody else. Where they transcribed uh every, you know, every note that he played for, I don't know, 15 different songs per book or something. And it was fascinating because here's these tunes that I learned by listening. And then going and like digging in and being like, oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Like that can be, that can really help your, your playing, I think. Cool. And, yeah. And the theater stuff, you know, you have to be super sensitive to tempo and volume more so I find than, than in a rock band, because you've got people singing, um, you've got balance issues to worry about, and then you've got dancers. So moving a few BPM in either direction can really mess things up for the entirety of the production. And um, so in that sense, too, yeah, just, you know, that that constant awareness that you have to have during a theater gig for me, it definitely has spilled over into the rock stuff. Uh, you know. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, one last question, which I think is going to be a fun one, Paul. But uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, DK says, uh, have you guys ever discussed coming up with Band names. He says, I swear mm. this is one of the most difficult processes about forming a new band, aside from finding non-flaky, reliable, talented, and compatible individuals to play with, of course. He says, it can make or break your image right from the get-go. It needs to reflect who you are somehow within your genre or marketing and be easy to remember or put on flyers. He says, it was so hard for my existing band that we literally had to sit down with a pen and paper at a bar one afternoon and brainstorm, vote, condense, vote again, condense again, until we finally settled on one. Why is coming up with a good name so hard? So we can't answer that last question, but we certainly can talk about the rest of it. I don't think there is an answer to that last question, man. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's hard because yeah. you have a desire to be original, right? I, and and uh, fair. Yeah, there, there, there have been a lot of there have been a lot of bands, you know, over time, and a lot of names used. It's kind of like you know, um, naming your company if if you have mm -hmm. a business, you know, it's and it's kind of funny. Yeah, it is the same thing. You want something that represents, you know, it's part of your identity. It represents, like the like the gentleman said, it represents who you are. But it's kind of funny that you know what 15, 18 years ago, um, you know, Google started saying. Any vowels and consonants that work together, you know, you can create your own noun, right? Yes. And so, you know, they kind of they kind of change the game of company naming. And I would say, to some degree, band naming has gone that way. You know, uh, uh, if you look over time, you know, band names of the doo-wop groups kind of had this kind of like overly stated sense of regalness and, and purpose. Then there was the, you know, the, the turtles, the beetles, you know, there were the, the, the insects and the, and the critters, you know, the animals, you know, went a certain way. Lyrics, one little snippet from lyrics of a song, like the Rolling Stones, yeah. um, you know, so there've been a lot of thoughts. It. it is hard because you want to get it right because it's the most obvious thing that someone's going to ask you, what's the name of your band? They, they'll ask you that bef probably before they ask you what type of music you play. And you want to, it's something you want to be comfortable saying with. And it, it's something you want. It's the first thing that people will interact to make a decision that, that just it seems intuitively common sense to most people. And that's why it's so hard is because you want to get it right, but how to do it. You know, I don't think there's anything 
wrong with the sitting down with, I mean, you may have to come up with, you know, a hundred names before you can get close to one. Yeah. And I, and I think it's like anything you map out, who are we, what are some synonyms and keywords or antonyms? Maybe if you're that type of, if you're that type of person, you know, that uh, reflects on us. And it's the same thing as everything else about your brand. Who are we? Are we whimsical? Are we serious? Are we badass? Are we tough? Are we accessible? Are we, you know, all those types of things. I think that's the great exercise of coming up with a band name. The House Rockers, interestingly enough, the story of the House Rockers name, um, there are many House Rocker bands. I'm sure many people know this, that they've heard of House Rockers around, you know, there's, there's been House Rocker, you know, bands in many locations around the world they usually there's not, i haven't found too many that are just the house rockers it's usually like you know the jersey house rockers or the you know the north shore house rockers it's usually something that assigns with place and so we were originally the silicon valley house rockers right that's what we originally were that was a royal pain in the butt to put on anything put on any <laughs> card of right course, and in yeah. fact our, our url for our website is sv for silicon valley house rockers and that was I felt comfortable enough that that the band name the House Rockers certainly House Rockers is it was the image that I wanted that that's the vibe that I wanted sure. and I was really cool with it. In most places, House Rockers are are blues bands, but you know not exclusively. But um, I felt comfortable enough kind of going down that path. We when we first started the the um, band. Um, I was trying to recruit a bunch of people who were either good players or like corporate executives who were well-known who were also players. And I called us the Silicon Valley all-stars. I always thought that a sense of place having Silicon Valley in the name was, was kind of a cool thing. Sure. Cause you know, especially if you're a cover band, you kind of service your look, your, your ah, locale. Yeah, it makes much. people feel an identity connected. with you. Co- That's connected. it. Exactly. Yep. And identity is a really good word as well. But, um, you know, so if, you know, if you were the, you know, the Durham, you know, rhythm makers or whatever it is that that might make sense to people if you're playing in that general area. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So so that's just one approach to it is using locale and location. Um, but uh, I think that that process is the right one. It's it's like anything, you know, go out and create a, a mind map, a, a, you know, uh, just a brain dump of words, emotions, you know, things that are interesting. Sometimes you'll pull it from, again, a phrase in a book or, you know, a word, or sometimes you might want to make something up, you know, if you want to be that creative, but asking the question, who are we and what do we want our name to project? That's accurate to who we are is the essence of getting it right. Yeah. And I will say that like, I, I will simultaneously agree that a band name matters like so much and not at all. That's true. Right. What, like, what's a, what's a deaf leopard? Right. Spelled that way. Right. What does that even mean? I'm sure it means something. And I'm sure somebody's listening and saying, oh, I know. Tell us. Feedback. What's a Pearl podcast. Jam? Right. Well, I know what that is. I don't think Tell I'm going to talk about that on the show, oh. though, Paul. Yeah, maybe maybe off offline. Uh, yeah. So. Post a link. Well, maybe not a link, but <laughs> okay. there you go. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I will say that I've I've been in bands where I have named them and I've been in bands, more bands uh, that where I have shown up and either the name has already been there or someone else has come up with the name. And I think like a lot of things, a band name that is uh, it, that is the result of a committee will often be worse than, unsatisfying to everybody. Yeah. Then, then, then a good name. And I, I will, I will list a bunch of names here and then I will tell you which two uh, were created by, by committee. And so bands that I've played in uh, were RATA, uh, go figure edible, Ned fling route 66 spelled S I X T I E S I X right to be to the sixties. Uh, I think I said, go figure already fling uptown celebration and the responders. That's not all of them, but that's, that's a good sampling. And I like all of those names except two of them. And that is edible Ned and route 66. And those were the two that were decided by committee that I actually had any involvement in the other ones. I had no involvement in go figure, I started the band together with them, uh, but Jeff had the idea for the name and and he was just like, I, I have this idea for a band. This is what we should call it. This is the kind of music we should do. I've got some songs written and it was like, yep, go, let's let, giddy up, but let's, let's run. And um, Fling is an interesting one because Fling, uh, again, I did not name the band. Fling is today a group of five dads from, you know, the Oyster River area, essentially Durham. 
And uh, and so it's kind of funny that, you know, these middle aged guys have their fling and it's a band. But uh, the first singer for this band who is no longer in it uh, is named Andy Fling. And the band was simply named after him. So it's cool. Yeah. Yep. So does someone in your name, someone in your band have a particularly interesting name? We have um, a local band here, really good original band named T. Clemente, right? Yeah. Okay. The, this, the founder, he's not the leader. He's the leader of the band. But he's not the lead singer. He's a guitarist is uh, Teddy Clemente. And so he just shortened it to T. Clemente. So that, you know, there's room to be clever. There's room to concatenate things. You know, sometimes it's a play on words. I think you're ultimately right. You know, most band names, there's very few band names that are iconic. And the ones, uh, many of them are only iconic after the fact because the band became like iconic. Right. But, you know, on the local level, you know, I think it's not going to be, you just have to have a name. I don't, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's the first thing that you get in terms of your brand, but as long as it's not a bad name, as right. long as it's not something that turns people off or gives people the immediate impression that, you know, you're, you're trying way too hard to be clever. Um, I think that, you, you know, as long as you get something presentable, ultimately your show and your music will do the talking. Yeah. So in, in this market, that's true. I, I, one band I completely forgot about was the band that in the, in the end and still today, uh, is called Groove Syndicate. But when I joined that band, it was called Ghetto Fabulous. And, uh, and you know, we were playing like disco and funk tunes or whatever, and it, it made perfect sense to us. And we'd wear like, you know, these Ghetto Fabulous outfits on stage. And there were clubs that wouldn't book the band uh, because they were like, well, we think that name might be racist. Oh, like, oh. wow. I, like, wow. We never even like never even dawned on us. Uh, and again, this was a name that was there when I joined the band. They were a pre-existing thing. I was not part of it. I was like, yeah, sure. Get up, whatever. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's let's go play, you know, a bunch of tunes and have some fun. And yeah, clubs started not booking us. So it was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess we've got to change the name. So then it was changed. So we, to, in this politically correct environment that we live in today, I guess yeah. that stuff actually comes out. Didn't yeah. dawn on me that it happens. I'm thinking, you know, most of the bands that are popular in my area, we have the Hitmen. We have Sage, you know, we have uh, Long Train Running as a, as, a, mm. as a tribute to the Doobie Brothers. So that helps if you're a tribute band, you can take, you know, a lyric or something that's connected with with uh, the band that you're paying tribute to. Yeah. Uh, Blue House is a great local band here. So, you know, again, you know, these are kind of innocuous names largely. Um but the the name becomes a brand the more successful you are. The, the name won't create your brand, I guess. Not. Yeah. Very, very rarely. Right. Yeah. No, it, you, you've got to You've got to deliver the goods and then people will just will use your name as your brand. And so have something that you're that you're that is acceptable to you. And I, I think that that should be the bar. Like, is it something that you can live with? And if the answer is yes, like, don't fight it. That that's been yeah. my that's been my philosophy. I, you you guys do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But you know, <laughs> but that's been mine. It's like, it, it, do I hate it? Like, do I mind showing up? Maybe maybe for me, the right uh, litmus test is: Am I okay putting it on my bass drum? And if the answer is yes, pfft, you know what? Let's go. Let's just go play some gigs. And well, that, you know, you mentioned deliver. the one band that that um, was a clever spelling. You know, uh, that stuff usually is lost on people. I mean, mm. I think definitely lost. Oh, stupid. Yep. Unless yep. it's short, like sticks, right? Unless it's short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, right. it, some of it is, are you using the letters to create a word logo and you're going to stylize the, the fonts of the letters in order to create a logo? Maybe that would help. You know, the the, uh, the kick drum test is not a bad one to use when thinking about what name to use. Yeah. Is it, am I willing to put it on a piece of equipment I own? If so, yeah, yeah then great. You know, it, and, and maybe the other way to think about it is if you got stickers made up, would you put one on your guitar case or, you know, whatever? Like, it, are you OK with that name? And And I will say one of my favorite moments, and we do have a picture of this. And to my knowledge, no one in the band did this, but there was a period of time where there was a fling sticker on the bumper of a Durham police car. And that <laughs> was pretty cool. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought so it was you know, cool. Yeah. No, that's absolutely cool. Yeah. It, it's funny. We have. Um, so for this, our 20th year, I've redone our website. And I use a, a site, just a little plug here called Bandzoogle, mm. B, right? And um, they give you about 
30 or 40 templates to deal with. It's really easy to manage. It's, you know, reasonably priced to me and, uh, you know, does everything that a band would want it to do. It lets you have video clips, lets you have audio clips, lets you sell merchandise, sell tickets. They've thought this through pretty well. So I redid our, our website. Um, we have a new 20th anniversary logo that's just got finished. Uh, we just took, I've been sharing some of our new pictures. Uh, we got some new band pictures for 20th anniversary. Um, and now we're starting to get ready to do some merch. So hopefully we'll have a good conversation about merch again in the next couple of weeks as I'm getting ready to do this. But, um, um, it's been fun kind of going through all this stuff. And what you said is, is really accurate. Like the new logo, I'm really happy with it. It was actually done by the designer who did my very first logo 20 years ago. Uh, so we've had a couple different guys over the years. We've, we've come out with like an iteration of our logo about every four or five years. And, um, uh, this new one is is really really cool, and uh, Bill, my sound guy, just grabbed it and went and got stickers made right away. Like, so I, and had them for us at the corporate gig we did on Saturday night. And I'm hoping, likewise, that uh, that that we're going to see our our logo all over town, and you know, it'll again it'll create awareness for us, and hopefully, it'll create audiences for us, and just kind of make us look like we're there, like we're 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 pervasive in our community. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah. Give those stickers away at gigs. We used to sell our fling stickers uh, for, you know, for like five minutes. And then we were like, Oh wait, this is stupid. Just give them away. And yeah. uh, yeah, And then they sort of appear everywhere and it's kind of cool. Like, like I said, when it, when it appeared on a cop car, it was like, Hey, look at that. We've made it. Awesome. The the gig we played on Saturday night was at the, the San Jose civic auditorium, which is, had been the concert. Yeah. You know, there's like, the stones played there in the sixties and you know, that's a, that's a big room. That's a fun room. Yeah. It's about a 2,500. It's, it's a, a medium sized room. It's yeah. not, it's not a, like a basketball yeah. room, but you know, the Sinatra played there. And so, you know, we're in that green room where all those guys were, which is kind of a thrill. And then there is a wall where um, most bands who have played there have left their sticker and, you know, and uh, you know, some pretty huge names. And now our sticker is on there right next to those guys. So that's just kind of cool. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fun stuff, fun stuff. Well, that uh, that kind of ends the uh, "Who Are You" episode. I think that's a good little wrap to it. We had these these topics that seem disparate, and yet seems like every one of them is related. So go figure. Figure out who you are. Go figure was a fun band, and uh, and we made our logo. Uh, I used the ransom note font back in the, whatever it was, the nineties. And we had this great goat logo with go figure on it. Occasionally I come up with like, I'll be digging through some boxes and come up with uh you know, like when it, we used to send out postcards about once a month to our mailing list and, and you know, they were fun. Then I, uh, it's like, Oh yeah, there's one. So anyway, I know that's what, not why you said go figure, but I figured I'd tie it all back around. You know, why not? It's good. You, you missed on the earlier segue, so you were going to not let this episode go this, by without finding one good segue. There had to be one. That's correct. That's correct. In fact, the good segue, the 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 topic that I was going to segue into, we didn't even hit, and uh, and so I'll put that on the list for next for next week. So yeah, that's a good one. All right, folks. Well, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We would love, love, love to hear from you, just like we did from all the folks this week. And uh, thank you to all of you who have written in, uh, in, including those that we didn't happen to mention here in the show. It's awesome. Really, really Sincere awesome. thanks. We yeah. love it. It's just so cool for other musicians to reach out and just kind of share whatever they're thinking about the episodes or Dave and I or my sound quality or Dave's sound quality. Dave's it's engineering true. chops. Yeah, we right. We got that's right. I totally forgot. We got some messages about uh, actually about your sound last week. And, yeah. and I was, you know, I didn't say anything in the show, but, um, but I, I opened up the uh, high pass filter a little bit more to let some more low end in on both your signal and on mine. And, um, and I think it, I think it's good. You know, you don't want too much low end because people are listening in cars or whatever, you know, the last thing you want is like, you know, something like this where it's like, crazy. <laughs> like, that's just not that good. But, um, but having a little bit more so that it doesn't sound like this, like an AM radio, you know, is, uh, it's a good thing. So it's, a, it's a, it's always a work in progress and we appreciate your, uh, your feedback on that. So thank you for noticing and, uh, and all of that. So, yeah. All right. We got 200 go. next week, baby. 200 is coming up, coming up. 200 episodes of telling people always always me me, me performing performing <laughs>